values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I appreciate you spending some time. Uh, we talked about this earlier, and what is uh, interesting to me about it is the story itself is not that big of a deal. And I admitted this from the very beginning. It is not going to alter Arizona's economy with this one specific veto by the governor. But I do believe that it is insight into her mentality of when it comes to regulation and business. I think this is something that has a deeper look to it. So let me explain what this is. It's been affectionately called the Tamale Bill. It's how House Bill 2509. It passed in the House of Representatives 45 to 11 and the state Senate 26 to 4. So massive bipartisan support got to the governor's desk and she vetoed it and she vetoed it saying there needs to be more safety measures. So let me tell you what it was. It was expanding the ability for homemade food to be sold. There are people out there, we talk about side hustles all the time. There are delivery drivers, there are rideshare drivers, there are people that are trying to keep their heads above water or make extra money. I ran into someone a couple of years ago, as meaningless as this is now, very nice woman, worked in worked as a, an assistant in, in a orthodontist's office doing surgeries, but was doing rideshare driving because she was saving money for a cruise. That was going to be her cruise money. So we know that people do side hustles. Hustles and for other people, it's keeping your head above water. Well, instead of this side hustle being whatever it's an Amazon business or videos or whatever, there are people that cook and they are excellent cooks. Who here in town hasn't had homemade tamales and just I just lost your mind at how delicious they are. I'm one of them. Um, you see somebody on the side of the road where they have selling tamales, especially during the holidays. Reasonably priced, delicious homemade food. Now, it's somebody if that if this person were your neighbor, you would take up. You would you know as a, if they brought it over as a holiday gift and said, "Here, Merry Christmas." You'd be amazed at how delicious they are. But if you put a price tag on it, all of a sudden now it's dangerous. Made in the same kitchen, made by the same great cooks. The mindset shift for me with this one particular bill is that the governor's mindset, you can get an insight into the mindset. The previous governor was about unleashing entrepreneurs and allowing people to make a living, rich and poor, by the way. I talked about the licensing change that if you come to Arizona, you bring your license with you, you can go to work uh, while you're going through the process of passing all the requirements for Arizona. Your license and good standing from somewhere else allows you to work in that industry here. So that, that is a freeing and liberating thing for someone that is a working class person. It allows a working person to go to work. Here you have someone that is who knows what it could be. It could be, uh, and I'm going to stereotype a little bit, it could be a grandmother. That is taking care of grandchildren while her while her child or children are at work. So her way of making income would be something in her home. So what she does is she makes tamales or she makes other homemade food and she sells it. That's you can't do that here. The governor said no, even though the vast majority of the legislature said yes. The governor's reasoning is safety concerns. That is very telling. That's a lot of insight into the mindset of the governor and how she views business and regulation. Now, I'm not saying that we are going to – our economy is going to crash and we're going in reverse and I'm not saying that. But we are not going to have anywhere near the same business friendly unless it is something we absolutely need to do. We're not going to do it attitude that we had from the previous administration. 
couple of other things. There's a couple of additions to this now. Uh, the governor vetoed a school safety measure and calls for gun control instead. We can get into that a little bit later. But how about this one? The American Hotel and Lodging Association, the president and CEO, Chip Rogers, released the following statement. We are disappointed that Governor Hobbs vetoed an important hotel employee safety bill, House Bill 2379. House Bill 2379 is right in front of me. What this would do is a city or town may not require a hotel or motel to participate in any program that houses homeless individuals or families in an unoccupied hotel or motel guest room through the use of a housing voucher. You can't require this. Um, Homeless individuals or families, and they describe what that means, hotel, motel means any establishment that provides payment for temporary lodging. So what this bill would have done, and according to this, is it would have required more wraparound services than just giving somebody a bed for the night. It would have prevented the government from requiring Arizona hotels to house the homeless right next to paying guests without necessary wraparound social services. And the governor vetoed this as well. So now I want you to think about this. You cannot cook food in your home and sell it to the general public. You and I, which I've done in my old neighborhood, I loved it, man. I, I think I love the entrepreneurial spirit. Somebody would be driving around in one of those, it looks like a tricycle, a big tricycle with a cooler in the front and they're selling food or they're selling snacks or whatever. Um, I'd stop my truck and buy something just because you're trying to support someone that instead of standing on the corner with a sign saying, hey, give me cash, they're out there hustling, trying to make some money. In the old neighborhoods, you still see them where there are people parked on the side of the road with a sign that says tamales or other food items, and they're selling them out of coolers in the back of their car. Sometimes they walk the neighborhoods, and I don't see a problem with that. If you want to buy that food, you understand somebody made it at their house. It's no big deal. Or I'm not eating that. I don't know where it came from. You make the choice. This is the government saying we're going to protect you from yourself in this regard. Now, on the other side of this, the governor wants to reserve the right of the government to require a hotel to house homeless families right next to paying guests sometimes without the other wraparound services that might be necessary to keep that family off the streets, get them off the streets permanently or whatever else might have gotten them homeless from happening. If you can read into what I'm saying. This is a so it isn't just the Republican Democrat battle. That is going on over legislation where the governor, much like our president, is saying everything the Republicans want to do is crazy. I just want what's reasonable. These people are crazy. It's a mantra and it's it it is an empty mantra. Because what we are now getting is an insight into the mindset of leadership. And when you compare these two, and I'm not reading too much into this, the governor says the government is going to reserve the ability to force an establishment to rent or to give people with a housing voucher voucher, a place to sleep overnight right next to paying guests. And we are not going to make sure that state services are provided. We reserve the right to let you to force you to do it. Without being forced to provide other services. That was what she said. On the other side of it, you and I can't do a deal in our neighborhood. Um, I have friends that, you know, make uh, I have a, a buddy I used to work with named Tony 
and I haven't talked, I haven't even really thought about Tony in years, but he was one of the electricians when I moved out here in the mid-90s. Um, Tony was one of, he was just a friend, super friendly guy from Mexico, wife was from Mexico, and his wife made the most delicious tortillas. The huge tortillas. And he would sell them. And he would say, hey, if you want some tortillas, my wife's going to make a batch. I'd get a dozen. I'd get two dozen from him. And he'd bring a box of these tortillas the next day to work. And everybody would give him cash for the tortillas because they were delicious. Eat them with lunch. And it was amazing. She was such a great cook. And, of course, I'm going to buy it. And that's my – but, again, based on what the governor's saying, that's unsafe. Well, that's my decision. I never met Tony's wife, never went in their kitchen, ever. I know the food was delicious. This is where there is such overreach, but it's the mindset. It's the mindset that the government has the control in this sense. We are going to tell you when it's safe. You don't get to decide. We are going to tell you what you can do with your business and what we're going to provide with that voucher. You're not going to tell us. Those two issues as different as they are, are worrisome to me into the mindset of what this governor thinks about regulation because it's not regulating the government. You're going to cook food and we're going to require you to be in a commercial kitchen passing all the cleanliness exams and tests and everything else or else you can't sell your products. So we're going to make sure you do that. But when a hotel person says, no, 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 I'm not housing somebody in my hotel on a, on a voucher until you provide other services and the governor says, you're not going to make us do that. We're going to make you. You're not going to make us. Worries me. Worries me a lot. Um, What we're going to do coming up in just a moment is uh, Arizona settled a lawsuit over the election audit. We're going to talk about the final days of the 2020 election. Yeah, three years later. We'll do it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, we're going to get to this in a moment, but I, I, I don't think I'm done yet. I don't think I'm done ranting about these bills that have been vetoed. Um, I understand how the political game have been around it long enough. I have the expectation. I know that Governor Napolitano, she vetoed a lot of bills that uh, that Republicans – when it was a very big Republican majority at the time um, – we we and we know that she uh, vetoed a lot of Republican bills, but we also understood many times what the mindset was behind it. And here we're not getting much of an explanation. But I want to look just at one more of these, and we'll, I'm going to try to get to this stuff with the lawsuit in just a moment. But um, the measure here, Arizona. Governor Katie Hobbs shot down two proposals, no pun intended, aimed at improving school safety and protecting the rights of law-abiding citizens. Um, yeah, House Bill 2332 would have set up a firearm safety education program for students grades 6 through 12, while SB 1331 would have allowed Arizonans with concealed carry permits to lawfully bring firearms on campus. Um, let me explain a couple of things. Um, the idea of bringing guns on campus, everybody freaks out about that. Uh, let me explain something to you. Um, the way it works now is you can't bring a gun on a campus or you're in violation, which means you could lose your guns, you could lose your right to own guns. This was more about a law-abiding citizen not getting in trouble 
if they have a gun on a campus. And this is, again, with a concealed carry permit. It's not required in Arizona. I hope people understand that. You can carry a concealed weapon in the state of Arizona, legally carry it concealed, without a concealed carry permit as long as you legally own that firearm. That's the law in Arizona. But what the extra level of training is when it comes to knowing the laws with a concealed carry permit, which I have, so I've been through the course, I understand it is about your responsibility. So this this is not a rah-rah gun rights course. This is a gun responsibility course. And so that extra level also shows you've been through a background check. You get fingerprinted. Your fingerprints are sent out to the Department of Public Safety. They do a background check on you over and above the background check that you go through in order to buy a firearm. To get a concealed carry permit, you go through another process of a background check where they do the fingerprint background checks on you. And then based on you passing that, they issue you issue you a permit. I know this because I've gone through it. And what is interesting about this is it's it's just a nope, it's a gun. Nope, it's a gun. And the other part of about a gun safety program, I wonder, and this again is just me guessing at the mindset of some people, some of the individuals out there that think that it's absolutely absurd to teach children about gun safety have no problem with people teaching young people about safety when it comes to drugs and alcohol. Uh, When it comes to safe sex, you want kids to be, well, kids are going to do it anyway. We better make sure they're doing it safely. What's the difference? The difference is it's always about the firearm. It's always about the fact that you believe in your mind inherently guns are evil. But it's another indicator. This is all about ideology, but it's also about the governor's mindset. The idea, and I mean this very sincerely, within the sound of my voice, there are a bunch of people out there that have concealed carry permits. There are also people out here that are listening that never owned a gun and never will. But I want you all to think about each other. Are you dangerous when you're armed? That goes for the person that doesn't have a gun either. The answer is no, you're not. And you have neighbors, and I'm one of them, that's armed most of the time. I'm, I don't even think about it. I put on my glasses every day. I put my wallet in my pocket. I put a pocket knife in my pocket, and I have a firearm I, most of the time. That's part of my routine. I don't think about my firearm any more than I think about my pocket knife. Unless I need it for something, I don't even think about it being there. But I'm certainly not more dangerous. And if I go to pick up a child or if I go to a school campus for an event or something, I should not be potentially losing my rights with firearms because it's loaded on a school campus. That doesn't make sense. But the idea that we just want armed people. Now there's a bunch of those, you know, those crazy gun people in Arizona want to get their hands on guns and they want to be carrying them around kids. And the idea that more guns, more death is absurd. I've been talking about this of all the absurd things that have been said. People that are in favor of gun control, you even have to laugh at these people. Let's be honest. A 30-second conversation, you you have to roll your eyes at these people. Our governor has a detail of armed police officers. The the, the um, 
mayors of our major cities, big members and dignitaries in our government are all protected. When you go to a concert, whoever, when you, when Taylor Swift was here, Taylor Swift is surrounded by armed protection, whether it's law enforcement officers assigned to her or she has private security or both. The Super Bowl was cops everywhere. Cops you could see and cops you couldn't see with guns. Were any of those venues less safe because there were more guns around? The answer is absolutely not. So you mean to tell me now when you introduced armed police officers to school campuses, you've just made campuses more dangerous, more guns, more death? It's an absurd premise. And this all falls under that same thing. Coming up in a moment, we're going to kind of go in the same direction. Arizona's self-defense laws. How is our stand-your-ground law or castle doctrine different from other states? What's legal? What isn't? We'll talk about it next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you. Um, this, these stories, Arizona homeowners cannot shoot just anyone on their property. I, I get all this, uh, the, uh, but I want to go backwards for a moment. I ranted about this once before today, but I want to back up a little bit. Um, this story is being written because people are showing up at the wrong place and a kid got shot. He showed up at a house of a guy that was over 80 years old. He rang the wrong doorbell and he got shot. So it's turned into a racial conversation because the old man was white and the kid was black. And uh, so I don't know the racial connotation or, you know, the overtone, undertone, whatever there. I don't know. I don't know what it is, um, but that's what it's turned into. Other places where kids are in the wrong place or someone turned in the wrong driveway and they ended up – I'm not making excuses. It's, it's a horrible abuse of your right to own and keep a firearm. That doesn't mean that the person on the other side of the door wasn't afraid. It just means they didn't need to be. Um, but I want to go to a different premise because this is how I believe this affects Arizona. Um, Kirk Evans – uh, as president of the U.S. Law Shield, said when this is him telling when you can use self-defense as a claim. Protecting yourself against being murdered, uh, serious bodily injury, rape, uh, some other serious crime. Chase Go Lightly, 12 News, when you can use self-defense. Evans says Arizona law does allow it if you are in immediate danger. The suspect is committing arson or stealing valuables. But again, it has to be happening right then and there. You are no longer in fear of your life when you shoot someone running away with your TV. So let's discuss what I think is the element of this that's been forgotten in the conversation. I have been warning about this, and it's not just me. This isn't I'm not making it about me. I'm saying, but I have been warning about this as we have watched the depletion of police agencies across this country. Um, and we have watched the Phoenix Police Department shrink at a time when the city is growing. And it's not just Phoenix PD. It's agencies across the country, not just the valley, across the country. And I've been warning about this because when the crash happened, look how long ago we had the market crash happen, 2008 
2009, 2007, 2008, and then it carried on. The city of Phoenix, along with the state of Arizona, found itself in a very, very bad financial place. And the city of Phoenix sat down with the public safety unions, the Phoenix firefighters and the Phoenix Police Department, and they negotiated a deal. And as far as the police go, I can tell you, and I think both deals were pretty much the same, but Phoenix PD said, you will agree not to lay any officers off that are already hired. And and for that, we will give back real compensation. And they did. They gave back real money. But what they didn't do is they didn't replace officers that were leaving for attrition, retirement, went to another job, got fired, got injured, whatever. So we watched the numbers in the Phoenix Police Department drop dramatically. We have seen an uptick in violent crime across the country, especially in cities where they have bought into hook, line, and sinker into the idea of defunding the police. And I have been warning you, do you want the Wild West? Do you want people defending themselves? One of my favorite miniseries, favorite book for sure, but the miniseries is phenomenal, is Lonesome Dove. And it is such a good – and one of the scenes, they end up having to hang one of their friends because he got in with a bunch of horse thieves. And so that's how the Wild West was. Now, these guys were Texas Rangers, but they were now private ranchers. And in this mini series, one of their buddies uh, leaves and ends up with these bunch of horse thieves who kill this farmer and steal his horses. And they hang all these guys on horseback. And they hang signs on them saying that they were horse thieves or let people know that's why they were hung. That was the way justice was then. You were the jury. You were the executioner. You protected your own property. You did everything and took the law into your own hands. We have evolved. Evolved as a society that is a law and order society. That doesn't mean we give up our right to self-protection. But as we watch laws change, enforcement policies change, a number of officers change, we see crime go up. Reasonable people are not going to work as hard as they have to work these, this time in our, our country where it takes so much to just keep your head above water to watch some maniac rob you and steal from you without pushing back. That's not going to happen. So now what you've done is you've put law-abiding citizens in a position where they either have to watch somebody steal their property or take a chance on losing everything financially they've put away defending themselves in a court so they don't go to prison for defending their property. That's not a way – that's not the America I want to live in. I don't believe in the Wild West. I don't believe that if somebody is is uh, breaking into my car, I can grab an AR-15 and shoot him through the window and kill him in my car. That's not what I'm saying. But if I confront somebody, I shouldn't say, I should not hear from anyone. And there are some of you I know that believe that this is the way it should be handled. It's just property. Well, it's only property unless it's your property. But you are seeing somebody break into your car, try to steal your catalytic converter, stealing your motorcycle, stealing whatever from you. So instead of waiting for them to get in your house, you go outside and scream, what are you doing? Get off my property. Get out of here. And I'm on the phone with the cops. And this person, instead of getting out of your vehicle or out from under your vehicle and running, this person advances toward you. Now you feel in danger. You shoot them. Is that a, is that, do you believe that that is cut and dried? Do you believe that it's just, well, you were defending yourself and that's what the police are going to say and you're going to go to bed that night in your own bed? Or do you think that a case is going to be made that if you hadn't walked outside in the first place, none of this would ever happen?
How about your homeowner's insurance? What if that person survives? Do you think that person is going to sue you and your homeowner's insurance because they were just trying to steal your CDs or if you still have CDs in your car, trying to steal something out of your car? They didn't deserve to be shot because they were just trying to steal. You don't think that that's a real possibility? Of course it is. No one should have to live in that society. If you are going to steal from me, I have a right to try to stop you. If you escalate that, that's on you, not me. That's on you, not me. And that's the society I want to live in. But I don't know that that's the society we do live in. Um, Coming up in a moment, um, New York City Mayor Adams publicly criticizes the president. Very rare, but it happened. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, we still have the hottest tickets in town. That is, of course, Suns Playoff tickets will be available. Just text the word TICKET to 411923 to register. Listen for your name Monday and Tuesday. We call a name out in the 7 a.m. hour, the 11 a.m. hour, and the 4 p.m. hour for your chance to register to win playoff tickets. Game 5 tickets to see the Suns take on the Clippers. Text TICKET to 411-923. So New York City Mayor Eric Adams has criticized, publicly criticized, um, the President of the United States. The President and the White House have failed New York City on this issue, he said. This is one of the largest humanitarian crises that this city has ever experienced. It will impact every service in the city. Why isn't every elected official in Washington, D.C. asking the national government, why are you doing this to New York? Hmm. Why are you doing it to anyone? I got to tell you, I'm... When you start seeing this kind of uh, response from the far left, and that would, I think Mr. Adams would say that about himself, and the MAGA Republicans, and have this kind of u- a unified voice on this issue, families that lost loved ones thanks um, to illegal migrant sl- uh, smugglers slam Secretary Mayorkas, say we live in fear. Um, uh, just some of the headlines. Here's an interesting take because the president of the United States recently, um, Colombian President Petro declared during his inaugural address last August that the time has come for a new approach in the international war on drugs, which he argued has failed and failed resoundingly. Uh, the leftist leader has also vowed to bring total peace to his nation of 50 million and under six uh, after six decades of conflict. Uh, Petro and Biden will be discussing ways to deepen the relationship between their countries and make progress in mutual areas of interest, such as countering narcotic trafficking, promoting economic security. Um, so Biden has been under attack because of the drug crisis. And part of that has to do with the border crisis we have. Um And so they're saying, the Colombian officials are saying, because of their country, we know what's going on with drugs there and what has happened, that they are talking about the possibility that the president is pushing for decriminalization. Now, we you understand that decriminalizing one thing does not make criminals go away. What I'm saying is, if you think that if we are going to legalize drugs, that drug dealers are no longer a problem, you're wrong. We've legalized marijuana. Whether you like it or not, it is 420. We might as well talk about it. 
um, whether you agree with it or not, um, we've legalized marijuana. But do you think that that has diminished the number of drug dealers? No. Now there's fentanyl and there's meth that they're dealing in. Criminals will find other ways to be criminals. They don't just become legitimate business owners overnight. Oh, we were growing weed and we were selling weed and we were importing weed uh, illegally through our illegal networks. And now it's been made legal in states around the country. All of a sudden, we're business owners. That rarely happens. Those criminals find other laws to break. So our president is discussing the possibility of decriminalization. How about this? Former President Trump endorses using military to crush cartels. He said, I would do that. Um, he, there was a video that was released by the uh, by the former president about all of this. And it is interesting that when he said is, in addition to being irresponsible, it's offensive to the people of Mexico. That's the president talking about the possibility of our president getting involved. There are things that can and can't be done. Let's be honest. Um, it sounds good to a lot of people. It tickles a lot of people ears because people are furious that young Americans are dying because of this fentanyl epidemic and we know it's being uh, the responsibility of it being coming into our country largely falls on the cartels with Americans help on our side of the border but can an American president just disrespect the sovereignty of another another country well again go back we just talked about the Colombian president go back to Colombia in the late 80s, early 90s, um, at the end of the Reagan administration during the one four-year term of uh, George H.W. Bush or Bush 41 as he's known, there was a huge U.S. presence in disrupting the drug cartels, the Cali cartel, the Medellin cartel, and trying to upset the um, – the world that they had been creating with this network that was making billionaires out of these people. But now we've got this just with our neighbors to the south. That's another part of this. What we're seeing with this huge migrant crisis. I want you to hear a little bit about the migrant crisis. This is a, a, a WABC New York report. Stacy Sager talking about where the migrants are being. A peaceful stretch of Northern Boulevard here in Bayside, Queens, and New York City Council member Vicki Palladino meeting with a couple of her newest residents. But they won't be living in houses or apartments here. Instead, this hotel, the Anchor Inn, it's one of three in Queens, suddenly receiving hundreds more migrants at a hefty cost. Palladino says the owner of this hotel will be making $300,000 per month. The other part about this, I was just in New York within the last couple of months, and let me say this about what's happened in New York. You know, that there are the high-rise buildings where these hotels are are many times not the only building there. There are other businesses. There are restaurants. There's those little bodegas or bodegas, as the first lady would call them, the bodegas in, in New York City where people shop. There are grocery stores in these buildings where people shop. And when you have people that are housed in these hotels and not guests that are paying guests – that normally frequent those businesses, those businesses are strained. And that is one of the biggest complaints in New York is coming from other business owners, restaurants, bodegas, and others, you know, sell clothing or otherwise. They said, we're not seeing the customers coming from the hotels anymore because these are people without any money. They've come here illegally into this country. They're being housed. So the government is paying the hotel for their upkeep. But what about us? Not only do we not have that hotel traffic, nobody is coming here because of what's happening on the streets. What we're going to do just after 11 is talk about how taxpayers have spent money and how you can get involved. We'll talk about it next.